You're listening to End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. That is a national forest. And the kids have got as much right to be there as the pipeline's got to be there. For us, this is about saying, no, this is still the people's land. No, this is still the people's water. And no, we're not only going to fight you on this, we're going to win. There's this, like, scary inevitability that this won't last forever because nothing lasts forever. That, like, one day I will be taken down from here and we'll have to say goodbye to this piece of land. I want to believe that, like, they're never going to take me out and, like, that we'll win this piece of land. But I also am slightly realist with these things and understand that, like, the state police and the U.S. Forest Service are working together to find ways to extract us and that that moment will come. And when that does come, um, I don't see it as a loss at all. I see it as we've done this thing and that we've proven something as a movement that we are capable of resisting. Despite the snow that's fallen in the month of March, there are signs of spring everywhere in the so-called states of West Virginia and Virginia. Daffodils blooming on the sides of country roads, daylilies along the banks of creeks, Everything is either currently or soon to be in bud, including the trees at the top of Peters Mountain, also known as the spine of Monroe County. We live at the base of Peters Mountain. Um, Peters Mountain extends the length of Monroe County. We've tried to incorporate that in our thinking. It's like you're, you're breaking your back. Becky Crabtree and her husband are both retired teachers. They've been fighting the Mountain Valley Pipeline's progress through Monroe County, along with dozens of others. And lately, the activity has been nearly constant. It's pouring down snow, and yet we can hear multiple roaring chainsaws. We could not smell the sawdust. We later went closer to that, and we could. We could smell the sawdust. But just, it was like angry bees all over the mountain. I lament the thousands of trees on public land up on Brush Mountain that were destroyed last week and the thousands more that were destroyed on private land uh, yesterday and the day before on Brush Mountain. It's obscene. We lament you, Lord have mercy. I lament that the Forest Service, who was supposed to be here to protect our forests, has not stood with us. Instead, is standing with the money. We lament with you, Lord have mercy. And I lament further that we have to have people take to the trees on Peter's Mountain who have been living there for 21 days in the snow. These lamentations were given by pipeline fighters at a gathering in the historic village of Newport in Giles County, just days before cutting happened there in the village. The ceremony was titled Giving Witness, which has become something of a theme for opponents of both the MVP and the ACP. You know, I want you to see this. 
and understand. I mean, look at that. And then you gotta put a pipeline through. You just cut all the trees and you make this flat until you get over there. I mean, are you kidding me? Linda Majors took me up the steep slopes of Brush Mountain amidst the old growth and wilderness of the Jefferson National Forest in late February with her dog, Trapper. They're gonna have one hell of a view working here, but it's just like, God, you know, there's no way you're gonna make a meadow here. A meadow. This is not happening. This is so steep that there is going to be nothing left here. There won't be any soil here. I don't care what they do. It's not going to stay here. Anyway, I really wanted to show you this because I felt like you had to walk it and see it to understand. But Oh, here we go. We get, we're rain coming. See that? Ooh, it's yeah. It's coming for us. Let's go. Come on. Come on, Trapper. <laughs> <laughs> By the time this episode airs, the old growth trees that Linda and I saw on February 24th at the top of Brush Mountain will have been cut. The cutting seems to be happening everywhere and all at once. Franklin County, Giles, Montgomery. The effect at times is as dizzying as the steepness of the mountains themselves. Yeah, they, they may be done um, in the Greater Newport his, Historic District today. Um, they worked straight through that storm. Um, these conditions are not slowing them down at all. And especially with the snow on the ground, it is, it's a gut punch. I mean, it's really hideous to, to see um, all the trees land down. And We've heard Russell Chisholm before on the podcast. He's one of the many folks from Giles County who has been supporting his neighbors in the fight against the Mountain Valley Pipeline since the beginning. I spoke to him and others on March 22nd at the top of the Forest Service Road that leads to Peters Mountain. So the devastation is pretty pretty sickening, really. So I needed, uh, I needed to be around some people and uh, that were doing some good things. So jumped in my car and, and drove up the muddy road to at least uh, let folks know that we're down here and supporting them. Where's the tree set? Love it. <laughs> All right. Solid. Does anybody need a red bandana? I've got a yeah, bunch of them. Need your run. No, no, we won't go. 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 Despite the dauntless cutting that was happening across so many counties in the route of both pipelines, there is still one place it was not happening at the site of the Peters Mountain Stand, where two trees are still being held by a group of anonymous tree sitters. We're the crab trees and the pipeline is coming through our sheep field. Um, in addition, we live at the base of Peters Mountain and we've had the horror of listening to the chainsaws. And I think all of us, to a person, support the tree sitters and wish we could do more to help them, but they are inspirational to us. If they're willing to stand up for us, we're sure willing to stand up for them. At the time of this recording, they've been in the trees for over a month. During that time, there have been windstorms, snowstorms, two court hearings, and an emergency closure of the area of national forest surrounding the site. And through all of that, the support for the sit, and the sit itself, has expanded. I don't know if y'all can see this, but they are trying to tape something to trees. On March 22nd, tree sitters put out a call on social media that the Forest Service was on the mountain and potentially making moves to extract them from the site, 
despite a victorious Monroe County court ruling just two days prior that denied MVP a preliminary injunction against the sit. Local supporters mobilized quickly to the now-closed Forest Service Road. Yeah, all the, the Freddies, the Forest Service agents, they went up there with several ATVs, about five of them. They had some ladders with them, a bunch of people. They went up there, they did a lot of inspecting and detecting, you know what I mean? Posted a new closure order, it looked like they were trying to figure out how the whole thing's put together. It's also very windy, so it's hard to tape things to trees. We shall see how this goes. It looks like they're not going to make an action today and a lot of them are headed back down now. Okay. But we just wanted to come out here and show the Forest Service that these folks aren't alone and that the uh, community is going to respond if any, they try to take any action, you know. Why did you come out here today? Uh, well, I grew up in this area and, you know, this is my home and it has been my entire life. Lauren Bowman spoke to me only briefly. It was her first time coming out to support the tree sitters. The environmental devastation that's happening here is just devastating to me. Um, and, you know, I, I just I can't talk about it without really getting emotional, but, you know, it, just, it means a lot. So. I've lived in different places. I've lived in the next county, which isn't too far away. Um, but the cultural attachment to this land is far greater than any I have experienced or noticed anywhere else. The mountains hug us. The mountains are um, comforting. When we go to the beach, we can tell when we're out of the mountains, and it's like as if we're a bug on a table because it's a different sense, and, and we recognize that. Along with being a retired school teacher, Becky is also a published writer, and the subject of most of her writing is of this place and this mountain. Tammy Belinsky, an environmental lawyer fighting the Mountain Valley Pipeline, explained to me that, ironically, it was the Forest Service who first used the phrase cultural attachment in the 1990s to describe the communities in the southwestern part of Virginia. It was a label for having an attachment to place. And it comes from having families there for generations and their lifestyles and their livelihoods being attached to the rain and the wind and the sun, knowing where your water comes from, knowing that it's a fragile system, knowing that you have to nurture it and take care of it and respect it and revere it because that's what sustains your life. The more I learn about Peter's Mountain from local residents, the more evident it becomes that the tree sitters couldn't have chosen a better place to make their first stand in defense against the Mountain Valley Pipeline. According to Maury Johnson, another Monroe County resident, it was the caves under Peter's Mountain that made their state agency rethink water certification back in the fall of 2017. We filed a lawsuit against WSUDP saying you didn't do an adequate job of analyzing the water. And they realized that they hadn't and they were going to lose this suit in court. And so they asked the judge to allow them to pull their 401 water permit and go back and do a, a better job. So there's a spring, it's a small cave actually, that comes out of Peters Mountain and it's the source of Rich Creek. I was actually inside that little opening. It's not a very big opening. You've got to really crawl in there. And there's not much back there to see. 
a lot of water, a lot of cold water. Depending on the time of year, so much water flows under Peter's Mountain that it's hard to go very far back into the cave. But this time, West Virginia DEP went in during the fall, when the water level is much lower. And there in the cave, Maury says they noticed an opening between the roof of the cave and the water. It's what you call an ear dip, meaning that you stick your head, your head up and keep your nose out of the water, and you're literally chin deep in water. And they walked under this, through that pool of water, and they found another amazing room. And I believe that they realized, once they got started mapping this cave, there are 1,700 feet of cave back in that mountain that they have, they've got cave divers out of New York. And they haven't, I don't think they've touched the tip of it. The water's high now, they can't get in there. They'll have to come back next summer and do more mapping. And it heads right straight toward the pipeline corridor. And there's an amazing cave back in Peter's Mountain. Lots of water comes out of it. I know that West Virginia DEP recently traced a sinkhole that the pipeline wants to cross about a mile away, and that water goes into the Rich Creek Cave. We know that. We know we know the karst area that there's they've been doing dye traces and water and the dye showing up two miles away. So my thought is, what I believe is DEP realized we can't certify, we just waive our rights to protect our water. Much like Virginia's DEQ, West Virginia handed Water Protection Authority over to the Army Corps of Engineers with a blanket permit for preserving water quality. But nearly everyone says that relying on a blanket permit from the Army Corps isn't good enough. And a bunch of us said, well, don't they have to do something? Doesn't somebody have to protect the water? If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. Today, we're talking specifically about the growing resistance to the so-called Mountain Valley Pipeline, a 300-mile-long, high-pressure, fracked gas pipeline spearheaded by natural gas developer EQT. But it's important to point out, for those who may not be as familiar with the ongoing pipeline saga, that the Mountain Valley Pipeline, or MVP, is not the only one that's currently cutting trees and stealing land in this area that so many of us call home. Dominion Energy is also moving forward on their plans to build a nearly identical piece of infrastructure, over 500 miles long, making the argument for necessity even more complicated. You can listen to all of our past episodes covering these key issues at soundcloud.com slash pipeline podcast. I'm Whitney Whiting. Across the so-called states of West Virginia and Virginia, pipeline fighters are finding new ways to continue the fight that was brought to their doorstep nearly four years ago when the MVP was first announced. One of those ways is by showing up for the tree sitters at the Peters Mountain Stand a group of young people that many locals are calling heroes. It's unknown just how many tree sitters there are, but they have been continuously occupying two trees at the top of Peters Mountain, very close to the site where MVP plans to bore under the Appalachian Trail. 
At the time of this recording, the tree sitters have been there for over a month, coming down only in the most severe weather. Of all the things that's been done, this is an act of really beyond words, what they did. Becky Crabtree, who lives at the base of Peters Mountain, says she thinks about the tree sitters every day. They are my heroes. I'm holding them up for my grandchildren, for them to be heroes, because they are protecting us when our own government did not. They are inspirational, they are brave, they have faced now three weeks of bitter cold and high winds and rain and sleet and snow, and yet they sit there to protect um, what they feel like is right, and we certainly support them. Tammy Belinsky, an environmental lawyer who has been involved in fighting the pipeline since the beginning, says that she knows why people around this area feel a lot of emotion when they talk about the tree sitters. People are spiritually attached to Peters Mountain. That Peters Mountain is the only place in the world with this geophysical sound. And now don't smile, but Peters Mountain roars. It talks to you. You know um, when, when things are going to happen, because Peters Mountain tells you. You can hear the mountain, and you can hear it in the morning, and you can know trouble's coming or it's not. And surely it's physical, and it is um, a, a combination of warm and cold air, but it, it, you have the sense that it's talking to you. When I write, I write about people on Peters Mountain. Um, when we have praises, we praise God for Peters Mountain, you know, for this, for this area that is so wild and, and entertains such wildlife and such good stories that are part of this community. I have here what's called a, a declaration for the purposes of standing in the litigation against the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management. And this person um, described his relationship to the land in his standing declaration that I thought you might like to hear. Most Sundays I drive to different Forest Service trailhead locations on Peters Mountain, spending time walking through the woods to feel its presence calming my heart. My dog frequently takes me for a walk past my mailbox to the lowest point on Peters Mountain where it borders my property on Potts Creek. I've been doing this in every season since I first moved here. Peters Mountain is the longest mountain in the Appalachians, dominating the views in the valley where I live, as well as most of the views shed for the rest of Monroe County. There is a spiritual quality to Peters Mountain that is obvious to those that live near it, like an acquaintance that turns into a friend over time. The mountain has a sessioned presence. The Forest Service staff may not feel the spiritual connection from their offices in Roanoke, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Whenever Forest Service officers come to the mountain, they're only there to take something, measuring, gathering information for future activities. People like me come here just to be in the presence of the spirituality. We don't take anything from the mountain but our feelings. Peter's Mountain seems to have a spirit living in a time frame that's different from ours. I feel a protective benevolence emanating from it that is aware of the creatures scurrying around its slopes. 
The Peter's Mountain Wind has been noted in references as having a certain mystical character. Zephyrs can be seen moving up the hollows. Hawks use the river of wind over the ridge on their migration south. Peter's Mountain is a living, breathing, sentient being. The amendments to the Land and Resources Management Plan lessen the protections currently in place that shield the mountain from development. The grant of the Mountain Valley Pipeline right-of-way has weakened the place that the mountain has found in my heart. I feel a strong cultural attachment to Peter's Mountain that I've never felt in any other place. It includes a spiritual perspective, a reverential regard. It is sacred ground. I see the forest on Peter's Mountain as a large church with wooden walls of old-growth timber at its borderlines. I feel the spiritual quality just as some folks might sense this, that same feeling when they walk into an ancient church. Peter's Mountain is my church. The Forest Service decision to revise the Land and Resource Management Plan to allow a right-of-way for the high-pressure natural gas line slashing across the mountain, cutting down the old-growth timber, and other landscape alterations is vandalism of sacred ground. I was recently able to hand some questions, as well as a voice recorder, to one of the current tree sitters at the top of the mountain, and I referenced Becky's statement that the mountains hug those who live near them. I wanted to know what the tree sitter felt about that sentiment, having now spent so much time on the mountain. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. I, I, like, you know, wake up every day and have this amazing, spectacular view of the mountain, um, recently tainted by the cutting of the easement. But waking up and seeing not only the mountain, but the rolling hills of West Virginia has humbled me greatly. And so in that, um, the, like, silence and stillness um, and great just, like, presence that the mountain holds, holds um, is definitely something that I've felt um, metaphorically but then like physically it's so like it can be really windy and it can be really cold and um, and so it's felt like a little bit of like soft and tough love from this mountain if you know what I mean like it's not easy being up here so um, you really recognize the beauty and the harshness of this mountain all at once. And what about that harshness? Is it easy to get any sleep up there? It is easy. You know, I'm in, so like, there is a fleece covering in here um, that acts as insulation. Um, and we have built windows into the rain flies. Um, I feel really comfortable here. I feel really safe. I feel as though, um, despite the consistent like vigilance that you have to have of the Forest Service or you know Lake Virginia or West Virginia State Police coming through despite those stressful factors um, in a lot of ways it's really healing to be up here. And I tell you what the, the, the kids who are in the trees I'm calling them kids because I'm 56 years old and uh, I realize they're adults but they're kids to me and um but I tell you what, they're going to come out of that forest with a spiritual attachment. If they already have it. I know they already do. Um, but, uh, and I know that they cried when those trees got cut around them. Um, yeah, that experience was really intense. I remember waking up 
uh, and starting to hear voices. And so um, I peeped my head out and it had just snowed. I looked down and saw a few surveyors coming up and then I started to hear more and I started registering like, okay, there's at least five of them. No, wait, there's at least 10 of them. And I, had, I was hearing chainsaws um, and so I knew like, oh, okay, like they're starting to act, but it was snowy. It was hard to see anything that was like beyond 20 feet in front of me. So I couldn't really make out what was happening. But as they started to get closer, I started hearing trees drop and that just started inflicting like, oh my gosh, this moment is happening. Um, and like, there was some panic and fear of like, what if they do something that's dangerous, but also like a moment of like adrenaline and like, I'm going to like hold this space no matter what. There's this thing that comes up for me under like the notions of capitalism that it's like, you can't blame the workers, you know? Like they have to do what they have to do to survive. Like these people probably have families that they need to support. And like, of course it frustrates me, the nature of their work but, you know, you, you get that it's like they're the working class and they probably in a lot of ways are against this pipeline too. So, like, it's complicated when surveyors come up to you and they're like, are you safe? Are you okay? And it's like, well, you know, yeah, thanks for being nice to me, but also, like, why are you doing this? What the heck? And so as they were cutting, they were approaching me and they were like, we don't want to hurt anyone. Like, And they kept saying that. And all I could think was, like, you don't want to hurt me as a human being right now, but what about like the entire ecosystem that you just destroyed on your way up? And like, what about all the animals that have just been displaced by the cuttings of this pipeline? And like, how can you say that you don't want to hurt anyone when you just did all this destruction on your way to me? And, and then they started clearing closer to me and I started actually seeing trees drop and tears were just rolling down my face and I was so frustrated and it was so powerful because we've been here and then this moment came and it was like a just like a reminder of like this is why we're here there are plenty of ways to resist and it looks like so many different things and I believe that if we lose this front that doesn't mean that we've lost the battle at all I don't know what it's going to be like to come down and be back on the ground and or what, but what I do know is that conversations are building and people are eager um, and that this strategic move to be in this tree is but one tactic. That's all the time we have for now, but please tune in next week for more End of the Line. To hear an extended version of this episode, go to soundcloud.com slash pipeline podcast. Special thanks for this episode goes to Linda Majors, Maury Johnson, Becky Crabtree, Ashby Berkeley, Russell Chisholm, Tammy Belinsky, and anonymous tree sitters of the Peters Mountain Stand. Through the air up to the sky lay down.